We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk about the veracity of the Bible one more time and why the quadrilateral is a perfect way to look at whether or not the Bible is true. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Thanks for listening in. Really appreciate the loyalty and the support of so many of you that listen to us on a routine basis. If you've been with me for the last couple shows, you know I've talked about Scripture, the Bible, and whether or not it's trustworthy, whether or not it's true. And I've, I've focused on these comments that have recently been made by Jordan Peterson on the Joe Rogan Show, where Peterson talked about the veracity of Scripture because it is the, it's the pretext for truth. It's truer than true. It is the manifestation of truth. These are the types of things that Jordan Peterson has been saying recently. And you know that I've said that I don't know whether Jordan Peterson claims to be a Christian or not at this point, but he surely is showing great respect for a document that has more impact today. And I say that in the present tense, that has more impact today on humanity, on civilization, on culture, across the world. The Bible has more impact today than any other book, any other document, any other worldview, printed material or otherwise. The Bible is greatly influential today. And if you look back over history, there's no question that the Bible's impact on history the development of civilization, the development of cultures, the development of the United States, the Western world, the very assumptions of freedom and civil rights, human dignity. All of these things are grounded in Scripture. All of these things are grounded in the Bible. So whether you believe it or not, whether you claim that it is the inerrant word of God or not, you cannot refute its influence on the experiences that we've had in the past and the experience that we have today. That was my point yesterday. Experience. You know the quadrilateral. I've said that this is a perfect way to look at a worldview, to evaluate the ideas that we wrestle with on a daily basis. The quadrilateral, the four things through which you should look the four eyes, if you will, the glasses that you should put on, the spectacles through which you should look and view worldviews and assess them and determine whether or not they're right or wrong, good or evil, beneficial or not, whether or not they have impacted history, past experiences, or impact 
our present, our current situations, our current experiences, is the impact positive or negative on our experience, past and present? Because if you look at the past and you look at the present, that's the best, excuse me, the best predictor of the future. Experience is critical, and that's one of the components of the quadrilateral. Ancient church fathers talked about this quadrilateral. John Wesley used the quadrilateral. Now, I'm going to remind you one more time, because it's very important. We've lost it. We don't use it that much anymore, but we need to, because it talks about history. Another word for that is tradition. And as you know, I've defined that. History or tradition means The people that preceded you actually knew something. History, tradition, your grandma and your grandpa might have actually known something. The ideas that have endured the test of time have done so for good reason. It's because they probably proved themselves over and over again through the test of history and tradition and being assessed over and over again, they proved themselves to be good ideas. The experience that we had as a result of those ideas was positive rather than negative, and therefore we retain those ideas and we pass them on to our progeny, to subsequent generations. History, tradition, that's the first component of the quadrilateral. Reason is the next one. You've got a brain, use it. You're not an animal. Don't define yourself by your gut or your belly or your passions or your drives. That's not what defines you. You're a human being. You have rational capacities. You've got a brain. Use it. So history and tradition, that's the first component. Grandma and grandpa knew something. Reason, you've got a brain. Use it. Stop acting like an animal. Act like a human being. A cognitively aware, a morally culpable human being. History and reason. Now the third component of the quad, the quadrilateral, is experience. And that's what I talked about yesterday, experience. And I'm going to talk about it again today. I mean, we can talk about a lot of proofs that are out there to show you that the Bible is not just a haphazard collection of ancient documents that the church put together at the Council of Nicaea in 320-something A.D. as an effort to consolidate its power and to squash all dissenting views. That's nonsense. That is not good history. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. I could talk about the reams and reams, literally, Miles high, if you've stacked all of the ancient manuscripts on top of one another, the ancient manuscripts that still exist, that we have collected through archaeology and through scholarship and study, the ancient manuscripts that still exist, and they're growing every day because scholars are discovering new stashes of manuscripts as the ancient world opens back up again to us. As the Soviet Union fell and as Nazi Germany fell, we discovered more manuscripts then than had been discovered in a long time because they had been locked away behind the Iron Curtain, if you will, behind the walls of World War II. And when the walls of the Cold War and the walls of 
World War II fell, when the walls of war fell, and freedom opened up culture's doors again, scholars went into monasteries, scholars went into churches behind these walls and found what? Thousands and thousands of documents, manuscripts of scripture that weren't destroyed, but yet were preserved, buried underneath churches, in trap doors, secret passages. The monks and the priests and the pastors preserved the word. Now, I could spend show after show talking about that, but I don't want to talk about that per se today. What I want to talk about is this issue of experience again. Because for me personally, if people ask me why I believe, why I believe in the story of Christ, why I believe in Christianity, why I believe the Bible is true, one of the things I go to first is not all of the hard data with regard to the documentation that proves that Scripture has been preserved. What I go to is experience, the Dr. Phil question. How's it working for us? How's it working for you? What worldview, what ideas have proven themselves through our experience, past, history, present, right now, in your own lives, what we're experiencing personally as we look in the mirror and as we look at the news, what does our experience tell us about Christianity? Let's take a break, and when I get back, we'll talk about our experience being one of the best proofs of biblical truth and the Bible's veracity. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Well, before we get into this issue of experience, I just want to tease you with a, a couple facts with regard to the volumes and volumes, the reams the multitude of manuscripts that are out there, that are ancient, that have been preserved, that help us cross-reference one manuscript to another. And as you cross-reference these various different pieces of the Bible that we have found, a fragment here, a fragment there, a page here, a page there, as scholars have cross-referenced these ancient documents, these ancient manuscripts against one another. They've been able to piece together what the Bible really said from the very beginning. Some people will say, well, you don't have the original books. They've been destroyed. We don't have them any longer. So how do you know? Well, you go back and you use the ancient manuscripts that do exist. And if you have a fragment here that is cross-referenced against that fragment over there, and they say the same thing, that tells you something. And if you have another and another and another and another, and it validates that what was said then is the same now, you can have great confidence that this book has been preserved. And we don't have difficulty making that argument with other ancient or classical writers and material, do we? I mean, we believe that Homer existed, right? We believe in Herodotus and his history, Sophocles and his plays. How about Plato and Caesar, the Gullic Wars? How about Livy's history of Rome or Tacitus and his annals? 
I mean, we believe that these men existed, and we believe that the records we have, the writings that we have today, represent them accurately. But do you know how many ancient manuscripts, actual manuscripts we have, of the writings of these men? The total would be approximately 4,000 partial fragments of their writings. But yet, we don't have great difficulty believing that what we have pieced together by cross-referencing those writings, those ancient manuscripts, is accurate. So you have about 4,000 of those pieces and parts of ancient manuscripts on Homer and Plato and Cicero and whatnot. Now, how does that compare to what we have for the Bible? Well, we know that we have at least 66,000 ancient manuscripts of Scripture, compared to 4,000 of these other classics, these other ancient writers. 66,000. One way to look at that would be if you stacked all the ancient manuscripts of the classics on top of one another, it would be about four feet high. Four feet high. If you stacked all the ancient manuscripts that we now have, that we actually have in our possession, in libraries and private collections across the world, it would be 2.5 miles high. So four miles high for the ancient classics and 2.5 miles high for the Bible. But yet, skeptics want to discredit the Bible as somehow being just pieces and parts. And we really don't know what was said because you don't have the original documents. Well, you've got two miles high of documents that you can cross-reference with one another. You can check and double-check and triple-check and quadruple-check over and over again to go back to what was originally said. That's why I have confidence in the textual accuracy of what we read today. But, like I said... I'm halfway through the show, and I really haven't gotten into the issue I want to discuss again today, or at least not that much. I've hinted at it, and I've set you up again for this issue of experience. Experience. Now, I suppose as we talk about the ancient manuscripts and the textual criticism and the cross-referencing of these extant documents that we have compared to, and, and the superiority of that collection compared to anything else, anything else from any other author, contemporary or classic. I suppose that's the reason the component of the quadrilateral that we're using to do that is reason, the rational, the, the, the logical, the evaluative, the empirical. And that's valuable, obviously. That's valuable because without that, our emotions drive us to make some pretty stupid decisions. You can't be driven by emotion, as Ben Shapiro says over and over again, the facts don't care about your feelings. Those, so the facts about these extant documents, this collection of, of ancient manuscripts that we have, is very important. But I think something as important is the test of experience, the Dr. Phil question. How has it worked for us, our experience of the past, and how is it working for us right now? The Dr. Phil question, how's it working for you? What's your experience tell you? Is that worldview that you're embracing, is it a good one or is it a bad one? Are you having problems or are you celebrating victories? 
Is it causing harm or is it resulting in health? How's it working for you? You know, when G.K. Chesterton was asked once about the historical query of why Christian faith was accepted and is accepted, he said this, I answer for millions of others in my reply because it fits the lock, because it is like life. I'm going to read that again. This is from his book, The Everlasting Man, G.K. Chesterton. When asked about the history, the veracity, the query of why Christian faith, Christianity, Christian orthodoxy, the Bible is accepted, was accepted and is accepted. He says that he said this, G.K. Chesterton said this, I answer for millions of others in my reply, because it, Christianity, fits the lock, because it is like life. He goes on and he says this, we accept it and the ground is solid under our feet and the road is open before us. It opens to us, not only incredible heavens, but what seems to some an equally incredible earth, and it makes it all credible. What's Chesterton saying? Christianity, the Bible, fits the lock of life. It works. It's a key that you can put into the conundrum. It's a key that you can put into the lock And you can turn the key and it fits. It opens the lock successfully. You don't have to pry the lock of life open. You don't have to get a crowbar out and break it. It's a key that works. It works well and smoothly because it's designed to unlock life in a meaningful and productive way. We accept it, says Chesterton, because... The ground is solid under our feet and the road is open before us. It opens to us not only the heavens, incredible heavens, but what seems to some an incredible earth. And it makes it credible. Christianity brings credibility to life. It unlocks the questions of life because it is the answer. It is the answer. It's the key. It's a key that allows us to open the door and see not only the beauty of heaven, but see the solid ground of the way we need to live our lives today so that when we ask ourselves, how is it working for us? The answer is, well, quite well, thank you. Now, why is this important? I mean, just stop and think about the main questions that we're, we're facing today. Uh, Questions of sexuality, for example. Christianity, the Bible tells us that in the beginning he created us male and female. Two sexes, two genders, men and women. Pretty simple, right? And for thousands of years we've lived with that reality, with that ontological fact. And we've lived well. We've recognized the heavens before us, but we've also walked on the solid ground of what is obvious and true and real, that there are men and women, that you can fight for women's rights because women are real. They're not fantasies and fabrications. And that men have responsibilities because there's a definition of a man 
that the Bible gives us, which is one of chivalry and honor and dignity and leadership and respect. We're told that the man should love his wife as Christ loves the church. Marriage. Marriage is another example. The definition of marriage in Scripture is very clear. It's not selfish. It's not contractual. It's covenantal. Marriage is a reflection. A reflection. It's an image. It's a hint of the church's relationship with Christ. That he gives his life for his bride, the church. He sacrifices all he has for his bride, the church. Is this a a model of marriage that sounds healthy and noble and good as opposed to some of the selfish contractual arguments that you see today that are based on nothing other than the conflation of love and sex and sex is love, the dumbing down of one of the most beautiful components of what it means to be a human being, the capacity to feel love to nothing but a guttural urge of sexual copulation. I mean, so you've got these these issues that we wrestle with today. The definition of a man and a woman, the definition of marriage, the definition of love. Now the Bible has given us good definitions, clear definitions, easily understood definitions, stable, enduring definitions that allow us to build cultures and communities and countries and families on those definitions. The Bible is the lock that fits the key. How Is it working for us when we live within those definitions? Well, it works quite well, thank you. How about personal health? Well, the Bible's pretty clear on personal health. If you avoid given behaviors, you probably won't get as sick as you would otherwise. In fact, we're told way back in the book of Exodus, where God promised the Israelites that if they would honor him and obey his ways, and attend to the way he was telling them to live, rather than live the ways of the Egyptians. In other words, if they would change their lives and live healthy lives, honorable lives, holy lives, lives that were set apart in service to God, rather than lives that were enslaved to the service of self and the bondage of sin. If they would eat well, if they would drink well, if they would behave well, if they would avoid certain things that the Egyptians imbibed, then God, quote-unquote, would venture on them none of these diseases. Isn't that interesting? So the experience of the Egyptians was negative because they were doing things, eating things, imbibing things, behaving sexually and otherwise, that were bringing diseases onto themselves and onto their culture. And God told the Israelites, you will have none of these diseases if you will use this key to open the lock of life. Your experience will be different. So when people ask you, how's it working for you, Egyptians? It's not working very well. But when people ask the Israelites, how's it working for you? Well, it's working quite well, thank you. We aren't experiencing all of these diseases socially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically because we we live a different way. We we behave a different way. We eat different things. We, We have a different life because we've used a different key to unlock the door of life. And the ground 
underneath our feet is stable and solid and predictable. It's not rocky. It's not, it's not fraught with as much danger as it would have been and was otherwise. We experienced the old stuff and it wasn't working for them or us very well. But our experience right now is pretty good, thank you. It's as if they're answering the Dr. Phil question. How's it working for you? Well, it'll work quite well. In fact, we will have none of these diseases. God has promised us so. If we will just use this key to unlock this door and experience the positive stuff on the other side. Not just eternally, but temporally. So that's my point on experience. Experience. The quadrilateral, again, history, history, otherwise known as tradition. The ideas of the past need to be preserved and honored because they've stood the test of time. Your grandma and grandpa might have known something. Reason, yes, use your mind. The facts don't care about your feelings. You're rational. You're not animal. Behave accordingly. Don't just succumb to your guttural urges. Don't be defined by them. Use your brain. But experience. One of the ways to, I think, make the point that Christianity is true, the Bible is true, the Bible is real, and it can be trusted, is this whole issue of, well, try it. Try it. What will your experience show if you do? I've shared with you before that one of my Favorite books is The Curate's Awakening by George MacDonald, a novel of a pastor, a priest, who was going through a faith crisis. crisis excuse me. He didn't know whether or not he believed in the Bible any longer. And somebody challenged him, well, just go read it again and read the words of Christ and just do them. Even if you don't know if you believe them, do them. Do them first. Put behavior in front of belief for a while and see what happens. In other words, try the key, open the door, and see what happens. And at the end of the book, the curate says, In my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, I have seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human invention, and therefore I boldly cast my lot with those of the crucified. I'll say that again. In my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, I've seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human experience, and therefore I'm going to boldly cast my lot with those of the crucified. What's he saying? I've tried it, and my experience has been overwhelmingly positive, and I can't attribute that experience to anything but the fact that Christ's ways, his words, the Bible, fits the lock, and therefore I will boldly cast my lot with those of the crucified, those people that gave their lives to write scripture down and pass it on to the rest of us because they knew what they were recording was true. And one of the reasons we know that is it works and our experience proves it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion.